Hello, welcome to a new Interiors and Sources I Hear Design podcast. I'm editor Valerie Dennis Craven, and I'm here to speak with Jane Rohde about community in architecture and design. Jane is a great guest for this topic. She's principal at JSR Associates, Inc., a healthcare and senior living design firm that believes people are at the center of all it does. She's also the conference chair for Interiors and Sources hosted buyer event Design Connections. The next Design Connections will be in February and it has a focus on community. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Valerie. How are you today? Good. How are you? Great. Happy New Year. And it's so nice to be here with you. Great. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited. So as we begin this conversation, can you provide a definition that we can use during this podcast and your definition in general of community as it relates to the commercial interior and exterior architecture and design field? Absolutely. Community is interesting because I think a lot of times we think about community without evaluating more than the building itself. Uh, I think that sometimes this idea that you simply co-locate two buildings that you get community as though it's something that can happen with hard edges and hard surfaces. And it's not. Uh, community is something that that is brought about with neighbors and personalities and relationships that complement what happens on the interior and the exterior of spaces. And I, I think that community also is broader than the built environment in that it's how you access service. So when we think about things as being inclusive or universally designed, that's typically always in the past been something that we would think of as uh, accessibility from the physical environment perspective. But in reality, community is built on the opportunity to be able to have an access to services and amenities and daylight and all the different components that make up uh, an environment um, that allows for the indoor and the outdoor to meet. Uh, I think that that's what we've been looking at with how we've been approaching it for design connections and using it as a theme uh, in looking at community as something broader and bigger and that's something that really has to have the interaction of people in it. Um, often we'll see photographs of beautiful interiors or beautiful exteriors and there really doesn't have a reference point to the person's perspective or the humanistic side. So this idea of doing things from a humanistic or a programming as a human interaction. So we've been evaluating things from by looking at the where the points are that interaction you want them to occur and then purposefully start looking at what could help interaction take place, whether it's conversation, uh, it could be a meal, um, it could be simply access to the outdoors in a safe space um, so that you could watch what's going on and, and good people watching. But there's many ways in terms of how to implement it, um, but it's really identifying it as something bigger and broader uh, than we talk about the community at large. This is actually creating space that actually has an input that evaluates the human factor. Great, can you speak um, how community can accomplish, help accomplish, you know, those areas, those spaces, the people living and working in those environments? I think it's understanding who's there. Uh, we've been working on this, what we call in-between spaces for design connections, and it's it's part of the charrette that we're going to do. 
Um, and it's the idea that if you had a, a wheel and you spun the wheel and you ended up on a boutique hotel in say a primary school, and those were your two spaces, what would be the interaction points that would create community between those two types of spaces? Um, some of the obvious ones may be a, a playground, right, for the, for the children um, to be able to see that, but it also might be that you have visitors that are staying in the boutique hotel that also have children. So it gives you that, that uh, sense of uh, intersection of where spaces come together and how can a space uh, reflect those that are staying there. Uh, so for example, if it was a healthcare setting, uh, it may be evaluating something about where family can meet, uh, where people can have a conversation, both private as well as, as public, um, access food, access a place for uh, privacy as well as opportunities to have conversation that is um, not only private, but maybe business oriented. So if you're waiting for someone while they're doing what they're doing, they might need to be able to uh, have that space available to them. Um, so it, it's knowing the context, it's evaluating what's around it, what are the other aspects that are in the community at, at large that are available, what are the people doing, what are their needs doing. We used to always do functional programming where you would interview the folks who are going to be using a building. So in our case, we do a lot of senior living work, so we would be talking to the frontline caregivers, we'd be talking to the family, we'd be talking to the residents themselves, we talked to administration. But if you thought about that in a bigger context, you'd want to know what, how, and what are the issues that say, and a parent, say you're a single parent and you're using the primary school, and that single parent's coming into the, in to pick up their child, it would be really nice if there was a, an amenity that was say a grocery or a restaurant or something that combined food with that um, to help them on their way home. Um, finding out what their needs are, what, what are they missing? Um, should there be a daycare center nearby? Should there be other things that could actually help the people who are using those buildings? Uh, and I think it's the same with travelers. You know, I find this, I, I travel a lot, so I analyze everything from the room to how easy is it for my Uber driver to find my location and how easy is it to get access to a quick meal versus when I have a little more time or want to meet with someone in a meeting space. Um, so it's understanding what the needs are of the people that use it. And I think sometimes we also miss the staff component. So if we could evaluate what the staff needs are too, you might come up with something that could be totally different um, that would create a space of interaction. Um, so it fulfills a need, it gives you access to an amenity or a service, but predominantly it gives you an, act an opportunity to interact with the community. Um, and we know that people don't spend enough time outside. We try to do that. We try to get people access to daylight and views and those things that we know from a research perspective are really important. But actually having a space that's dedicated to the outside that connected other spaces and other services is another kind of beautiful way of, of evaluating it. We think about the historic piazza uh, or the square uh, the town square. Uh, you look at, uh, like we're having the conference in Savannah and those wonderful squares that they have between the different areas. So it's a place to sit, it's a place to watch, it's a place to walk, it's a place to run, uh, it's a place to meditate. It's, it's all those things that I think give you a breath of moment, um, a little bit of respite uh, from the daily hectic portion of, of our lives, which seem to just speed up all the time. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any those are all wonderful. Um, to even paint 
a more vivid picture? Do you have any specific examples of work that you have done that you know would fit this definition of community and all the great things you've just described? Um, one project that I'm very fond of is we worked on a project in China. It was the first resident-centered nursing home in China. And the first floor was set up more like a community center than it was an assisted living building. And so people could come in and they would invite seniors in the community, their families to come in. But the biggest, the best part about that first floor was the wonderful daylight that allowed you to see all this uh, planned park space that was behind it. Um, it had a large retaining wall in the back because of the mountains and how it was kind of carved into the front of the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was nice about it is it had all these outdoor rooms, if you will, so you could just walk there if you wanted to, um, but there was a labyrinth and there's uh, spaces that allow for um, uh, different types of games to be played and outdoor activities to be held and a, a small green and all these different things within that space. And, and when they sent me the videos of, of residents participating and in, in with the staff, it just it was just so warming to see that something was successfully being utilized the way it was intended, you know, to make it, to make it work the way it needed to. Um, so this idea of the human, human centric programming or, or just this understanding the human factor type of programming uh, where it really came up to me solidly where, where we were lacking um, is I was at the hospital one day and one of my, I have a couple of volunteer children, they were um, in the foster care system and they're both grown, my, the daughters are grown and they each have a daughter who's grown. So one of the, um, I guess she would be my granddaughter technically, I guess, or untechnically, um, and she was having a baby and I was in Johns Hopkins and I, I looked at uh, the space and you go in to meet and you, of course you have to have IDs and there's a security process you go through anytime someone comes into a labor delivery space uh, to protect the babies and the moms. And uh, I was waiting in a room and I looked at the waiting room and I thought, wow, it's a sea of chairs. There was no place for someone to have a meal, a private conversation where you might be getting good news or bad news. There was an oncology unit that went off the other side of the, of the space. There was, I don't believe there was a bathroom. There wasn't access to food or, or even a vending machine or a water fountain. And there was no place to plug in your computer. There was no place to have different types of seating arrangements if you had to wait for a long time. There was no place for someone to take a nap um, if they had to spend the night. And I thought to myself, we're not looking at this right. We're looking at it on paper as waiting room, mm -hmm. 30 chairs. 30 seats. We're not looking at what are the human interactions that take place in that, in that space. And so it got me thinking more and more about um, trying to integrate uh, what happens and what we're doing in different spaces uh, to the point of, of actually evaluating how we look at senior living instead of isolating older adults or isolating children through the foster care program or, or age, trying to age out of the system and not having any place to go when they're done. Um, how do you take some of those, those populations, vulnerable populations, start to look at them from a human interaction perspective? Seniors want interaction that is meaningful and purposeful and feels good to them. And children, um, even young adults who have had issues, there's still a connection to older adults that we don't find in any other population. And I tried to look for commonalities, you know, like in terms of learning opportunities and things like that. We did a small... Um, community integration workshop uh, 
one of my staff worked with a local high school and they interviewed seniors and they interviewed uh, their own families and kids and then they interviewed youth at risk and it, it came back and it was pretty not surprising in a sense but it's amazing that we haven't looked at it this way before so when you're designing looking at what were the commonalities and the commonalities were uh, a food of some type there's always food involved no matter what, what kind of you know breaking bread together seems to be the one of them but it was also this idea of technology but the sense of technology that could be a reverse mentoring opportunity uh, for um, younger people to mentor older adults just as much as older adults mentoring younger people um, and then this idea of being able to um, come together over a activity, um, something that might be a little bit more athletic for the younger people, but something that can still be participatory from the older adults perspective, whether it was a being a spectator or evaluating, um, you know, watching the team or maybe, you know, basketball was their favorite sport. Um, but starting to look at things from that human interaction perspective has become a, a focus of our firm because we, <clears throat> excuse me, because I think we, we've, pretty sure that this is the the crux of what creates community mm -hmm. is really evaluating what happens in a space and how the human interaction occurs. Are you finding that if you um, like really what I'm hearing is creating unique spaces for how people are using them? Are you finding that if you're creating these types of spaces, then they are getting used kind of go back even to your China example and how you saw the video? We, we saw it in China work, um, you know, for how people would use space. And there's always sometimes a, a pleasant surprise, too. Um, we think that post-occupancy evaluation is very important because it does show you whether things work or not. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times in senior living, we used to do these things called life skills stations. Um, and they were a good idea, but they needed to be heavily programmed because you do little vignettes, say it was a desk that someone would sit at because that's what they used to do for a living and you have dementia, but that's still familiar to you. So maybe you have a telephone there, you might have something that you stamp there, you might have, you know, whatever the case might be, but that's very specific to a person. So the programming part of that would have to happen uh, very regularly in order for that to be evaluated so that you were meeting the needs of the particular people or population that live there. So I think that there's, we have seen some success. Um, it's, it's continuing, I guess it's a continuing operation for us because we're always looking at seeing that you'll see, oh, well, that really worked well. But the life skill stations, this idea that you just put these generic stations in and they will be used is, is false. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have not seen that kind of interaction. Um, but when we look at it from a normalizing life perspective in terms of someone helping, say, set the table or cut up vegetables or do something that's that's more of a normal everyday item, that seems to have some good resonance. We see people picking up things and doing it, or we see people with less agitation because they have something to do that's familiar to them. So I think part of the time it's it's really evaluating what is is personal to the people who are living there and who happened to be there. Um, one other successful spot we saw, we, we did a tour of a, a multifamily building and it wasn't a design that we had done, but they had the lovely like first floor shared space. So they had like a big screen TV where they all watched, you know, big football games and they had a, they had a pinball machine, which I love pinball. So was, he, he was trying to give me an application before I left. because I was like all about the pinball machine. Um, but it had these various spaces and it had a large kitchen space and a dining shared space. And the gentleman who was running the, the multifamily community, he said, yeah, we had a real surprise here is that people who've been renting the space almost every night 
to do either a party or a group or a, uh, have a, a group of friends down to watch a game or cook a meal together. So it was creating community and it surprised him. It had also created an additional revenue source that he wasn't expecting. So to me, that was exciting because then if you took that revenue source and you looked at more of a concierge service model that would serve people, both millennials as well as older adults, you could actually use that revenue and that space to support that. So that was just one of those pleasant surprises that comes out of human interaction. And then, but you could build off of that because you could apply that to other settings uh, and then create uh, a non-isolated community. We have a tendency of isolating people by age and by gender sometimes. Uh, and it, it, it's just trying to, that's not normal life, you know, like housing a whole bunch of seniors in one place or housing youth all in one place without interaction with other ages and other experiences or concentrating poverty in a city. I mean, all those things don't work well because it's not really normal life. It's other people dictating where people should be or how they should be mm -hmm. uh, living or that deciding. they can live there. Yeah, deciding yeah. for them. So not mm -hmm. giving them that choice and dignity of, of being able to choose where they'd like to be. Yeah point yeah um and so kind of turning to design connections and the theme of community um do you want to talk a little about that and even how the kinds of things you've discussed might be overlap with the coverage and what kinds of things people will be discussed at design connections i'm really excited about this year's design connections mm -hmm. um we've we've been putting together the program for various years you know and so each year you come up with something like oh, i think this is the best one we've ever done <laughs> and like, okay i gotta i gotta do it again <laughs> you know? um, but this time it, it's gonna be a little bit different we have a, a keynote speaker who works with young men doing what they call barbershop talks and he brings uh young black men into the barbershop and they do it almost like a round table to talk about what's going on in their lives. Um, they have a meal together. Um, they do, he, he does rapping as well, the, the speaker does. Oh, wow. uh, and I'm, I'm very excited because he's doing things on a very grassroots level. And I think that ties directly to the community too, that mm -hmm. it, we can think about lofty decisions, but again, like people making choices for other people or legislators making choice about, you know, what gets built where. Um, sometimes those aren't the best decisions because they're not made in context. And uh, we have another gentleman coming, uh, Derek Scott, uh, Troy Johnson's our, our keynote, and then we have Derek Scott coming from Detroit. And he's gonna be talking about a community uh, that didn't have a sit-down restaurant in it for 27 years. And he's built up and bought a lot of the property with the development company that he works for. It's been in existence for quite a while. Um, I met him th uh, through, um, through a, a, a conference that I went to. Uh, that that talks about uh, Smart Growth America is the name of the, the organization that talks about how do you do this you know development work that integrates community and so by having someone who has a uh, food truck he he gets the man is real interested in having a sticks and bricks place and they opened a restaurant that and a community that hadn't had one for all those years and he watched community start to build. Um, we have a, another program uh, being presented from Houston where uh, a healthcare uh, center ended up being the community center in many ways for redevelopment in Houston. Uh, so those are the kind of conversations we're going to have. And then we're working with Donald Strum from Michael Graves' office to do an interactive. And the interactive uh, includes uh, basically that idea that the exterior spaces 
um, we have a, a young woman coming from also from Detroit, um, from a key. Uh, it, it's a design firm that designs the in-between spaces. So artwork, art projects, parks, um, looking and evaluating how spaces can connect to one another. And that will be the portion of the presentation um, that will help them uh, with landscape forms. This is another group that's going to present. And we're hoping to bring some students in from SCAD to uh, help us develop it over the afternoon. So we'll develop something together as a team with professionals and manufacturer. And they have a, a, a spinner that Altro has, has contributed the board and the, we designed a graphic for the design for the spinner um, to see what you're going to be designing. And then we're going to charrette it uh, in for about an hour and then evaluate it and then have the students continue to work on it in the afternoon is the goal. Um, so if we can make that happen, I think we can have a really interesting, rich kind of evaluation and, and outcome that we can publish and talk about and uh, really look at community from a, a full picture. Um, and we have a building tour this time too. We've never done a building tour before and it has to do with the revitalization of Savannah and utilizing some of the older buildings that are along the waterfront. Um, so it's much different than what we've done before, um, but I'm excited because I think it's going to be, uh, I think it'll be rewarding and I think it'll bring about conversations that we might not necessarily always have. Great. I love even just the idea of bringing in students when the focus is community. That's, you know, yeah, pra practice what you're preaching there too. Right. We're, certainly, nice. we're still working on that. So we're hoping that all yeah. comes together the way we need it Definitely. to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yes. Great. Thank you. Um, do you have any final thoughts or anything you would like to add about community and what we've talked about today? Um, I think we've we've covered this really well. I, I hope people will come to Design Connections and see what this is about and and look at when people are designing and you get kind of caught up in the space you're doing or the space you're working every once in a while, take a breath and step back, look at the bigger picture and and see who's using what, who's doing what and see how your design then holds up to that. Almost like a litmus test, you know, of of testing any space can contribute to community or it can limit people. So how can we open it up so we don't limit people, but we encourage people to maximize their abilities. And I, I think that that would be my advice for anyone working in design and thinking about this idea of human interaction programming. Wonderful. Thanks, Jane, for sharing your insights and experience on community and its impacts and how it relates to the A and D field. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Valerie. And listeners, stay tuned in mid-February for our, our editorial coverage from Design Connections, focusing on community. Read about it on interiorsandsources.com, and you can learn more about Design Connections on, on the homepage, interiorsandsources.com. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of I Hear Design. <laughs>